Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. And that is what Jesus Christ does. He washes us who are foul and he makes us clean in his sight. What a blessing that we have from our Savior. We turn now to the preaching of God's word. And we're going to be in the letter of Philippians. If you turn with me now to the letter of Philippians, we're going to be in chapter 1. This morning, I'm going to do something that might be a little bit interesting to you, but I'm going to preach from one verse this morning. I don't know if you ever had a preacher do that before, and if you haven't, well, today is your first time. But this is a continuation of this theme that is, continu- that is happening here in the letter of Philippians. And our verse this morning comes from verse 20, or our passage this morning comes from verse 29. Let me read for you the word of the Lord this morning. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Thus ends the reading of the word of the Lord. May he bless it to us this morning. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we come now to the preaching of your word. And Lord, we are those who are surrounded by a world of lies. That we have an enemy who is a liar. And Lord, we find in our own hearts that we are prone towards lies ourselves. Prone to share lies, proclaim lies, and believe lies. And so Lord, we ask that you would show us the truth this morning. That you would convince our hearts of the truth. That you would assure our hearts of the truth. Lord, we pray that you would dispel the lies that we believe, the ways that we do not trust in you, the ways that we seek words to comfort us in ways that are false. Lord, would you comfort our hearts this morning with what is true? Would you do this by your Holy Spirit in our hearts this morning? We pray this in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. Well, we are continuing our study in the letter of Philippians of Paul to this little church that is the corner of where is modern-day Greece now, and in the corner on the northern Aegean Sea. And here Paul, we have seen, is calling the Christians to rejoice in the glory of Christ, that Christ will be glorified, as Paul tells them earlier, in life or in death. This is the ultimate aim of Paul's life, and that he is calling to us that Christ would be glorified. He calls to them to live in a manner worthy. And that's where we find this text this morning, that living in a manner worthy of our glorified Savior is what Paul wants for all of us believers to do. But he has in here this little phrase that he says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him. It's almost like a parenthetical remark for Paul. It's like an assumption that Christians should know this, that you should know that your faith is something that has been granted to you. And that's what I'd like to spend this morning unpacking for us, this almost a parenthesis for Paul, something that he just says in passing, something that we should assume in the Christian life. But I fear that far too often this is something that we don't assume, 
This is something that we don't take for granted in the way that we ought to, that we forget it, or that you may not know about what it means that Christ gives you faith, that this is a gift from the hand of God for your salvation. And this is what is true for us. This is the truth of God's word for us this morning. As I have a new, uh, uh, not member, but a new resident of Wisconsin this week, there has been snow falling for now five days straight. This is a new experience for me and my family. And it's been really enjoyable to sit there and watch the snow fall, and then it melts a little bit as the sun comes out, and then it falls again, and now it's really cold. And we've been enjoying it, but, you know, as I've said to many people, ask me in February or March how I'm doing, and I'll let you know. But it's been beautiful to see snow. This is not something that I have grown up with. When you walk outside, there's snow on the ground in the morning. But snow is beautiful. And snow is a fascinating thing because it's one of the only things in nature that is purely white. It is one of the only things naturally occurring that you can go and look at it, and it is as white as white can possibly be. And we love it because it covers everything in this fresh whiteness. It hides the ugliness that we might otherwise see. We see fields with the corn stalks chopped in half, and we might think, ah, that's not the most pleasant-looking thing. Then the snow falls and covers it in these pillows of brilliant white. But sometimes that whiteness can become too bright. Our eyes can't handle the brilliance of it. And so we need to shield our eyes. I even wear sunglasses in the middle of winter, which is a strange thing to me, because it's so bright. And this is a picture for us of what truth is like. Truth is light itself. It's brilliant. And that's what is coming to us in this passage to it today. That God shines his light, his brilliant white light of truth to us. And he has to be the one to open our hearts to receive that. Otherwise, it's too much for our eyes to see. We would shield ourselves from it. And we need God to work in our hearts to see this light. And so this morning, I want us to see from this passage that there is one thing, that faith is a gift. It's quite simple. What you need to walk out of here this morning knowing is that your faith, Your belief in the gospel, in Jesus Christ as your Savior, is a gift that God has given to you. I want to look at this text in three different ways. The first thing I'd like us to see is our own inability to believe. The second thing I'd like for us to see is that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, gives faith. And lastly, that the Spirit seals faith. So our inability to believe, then what God does The Spirit gives faith, then the Holy Spirit seals faith. And I'll explain what that means as we go on this morning. The first thing that we encounter from this text is that we have an inability to believe. This is not a natural thing. Paul is saying that God has granted, graciously given to you, that for the sake of Christ, you should believe in Him. This is something that Paul tells us God must give to us. And the implication from this is that we don't believe. That this is not something that comes from us. Ultimately, that we do not come built in with faith in God. Because of the fall, because of our sin in Adam and Eve, we are those who do not have faith in God. 
Saving faith is not something that we have in ourselves. As I read around online this week to see what other people have said about faith, you know, I think the most famous person that comes to mind in our culture is Oprah, who often would encourage people to just have faith. It's almost this cliche saying, you just have to have faith to get you through life, through the difficulties of life. In their definition, faith is often something that is, you just simply believe that something in your life will work out, and you hope that it will be true. And so you have faith. You just believe that it will work out for the best. Whether or not that's actually what's going to happen, you just believe it, and that's how you make it through life. Now, that can be a helpful way to make it through life, but what is it grounded in? What is it rooted in? Just believing that God or whatever divine power or karma, that things will just work out in their favor. There's no confidence that people of this world have that things will actually turn out better. They don't actually have a hope that proves that this will all work out better for them. They just believe it. They just, in a real sense, wish it to be true. They don't want to be negative people. A negative person says, well, it's not all going to work out. The worst is going to happen. You all know this kind of person that you encounter. That They like to call them themselves a realist, but you like to call them a negative person because they're always expecting the worst thing to happen. And so the conventional wisdom of our day, espoused often by Oprah, is that Well, you need to think positive. You just need to believe that things will work out. And if you believe that, then you will live in a way and things will start to turn out that way in your life. They don't want to be negative people. So they reassure themselves with this kind of talk. There's another form of faith that our world has today. It's believing in yourself. You just need to believe in yourself, that you have the inner resources to do what it takes to face all the challenges that life is going to throw at you. You just need to pull yourself up by the bootstraps and keep going forward. Just believe that you have the strength in yourself, and then you'll actually do it. It's when you doubt yourself, the world tells us, that that's when you start to fail. Well, there is a sense in which we have to believe that we can accomplish certain things and face the challenges of life. There is a natural wisdom to that. But it is not how we face all the challenges of this life. But most importantly, it is not how we face our God who is holy. It is not how we face the fact that we are sinners in need of forgiveness. That we are those who have failed and we have to stand righteous before God. Can we actually pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and face God? Can we say... I just need to believe in myself that I can do what is pleasing to God. Well, Paul here tells us, no, you can't. This is something that God has to instill in you. He has to work in you. But the second thing, not only do we not have faith, but there's something else that Scripture teaches us about faith. Is that we are not only unable, we are unwilling to believe. The judgment of God against us is not just that we don't have the strength, but we may want it, but we don't have the strength. No, the judgment from God against us is that we are unwilling to believe. 
Even if God shows us the truth, it is not something that we want. And this strikes us at the core of our human sensibilities. We want to think that belief, that faith is something that is simply a conscious choice that we make between right and wrong, good and evil. We think that this is something, as fallen humans say, that we just have freedom. I'm just choosing what's right. If you just show me the truth, I will believe it. We think that we are neutral. We think our hearts are neutral between right and wrong. That yes, okay, I do wrong things, so there might be sin in me, but I'm also capable of good, and I am a neutral person before this. Now, in one sense, in the realm of natural things, this is true. Humans can discern some sense of what's right and wrong. We have an incredible ability to discern the truth. One thing that's amazing is that I actually arrived here this morning in a vehicle, driving on the freeway at an incredible rate of speed. And humans constructed this. We have an inc- a way to understand the way that the world works and know what is right and wrong, what is true and false. But the scripture reveals something else about us. That pertaining to salvation, that pertaining to standing before God, that we have nothing. That not only are we blind, not only are we dead, we are unwilling to see the light. That when the light is shined, it is something that we not just recoil from, we hate the light. We do not want it. The truth that God reveals to us, we suppress it in our unrighteousness. We hate it. We distort it. We twist it. It's not that we just hide from the light. We hate the truth that God reveals to us. John chapter 3 verse 20, Jesus says, For everyone who does wicked things hates the light. And does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. This is the judgment that God levies against us. That not only are we unable to believe in him, but that we are unwilling. And it's a miserable estate that humanity has found themselves in. Not only unable to believe in God, but unwilling That if God shows the light of the way that we should go, the good news to us of the salvation that we need, we would say, I hate that. I don't want it. Get it away from me. Because I don't want to be shown to be evil. John 3.19, the verse just prior to this, says Jesus again saying, and this is the judgment that light has come into the world and people loved the darkness, rather than the light, because their works were evil. See, it's not just that we hate the light, it's that we actually love darkness. We love the very thing that is opposed to God. We love our sin. We protect it at all costs. We will give a semblance on the outside that we are willing to forsake our sin But the judgment that Jesus levies here against humanity is one that once that sin has to be uprooted from our life, we will do everything in our power to hold on to it. 
And even if God were to manifest himself in all his glory, in his presence on this earth, in all his beauty, in all his splendor, what would mankind's response be to God? Would it be to bow down before him? To worship him? To glory in him? No. It would not be to glory in God. They hate the light. They would want to snuff it out. And they would want to run to darkness. So what hope does humanity have? What hope do we have? What is our hope if we are unable and unwilling to believe in God and to believe the salvation that He has provided? Our hope is not in ourselves. Our hope is in a God who will do something in us and for us that we cannot do ourselves, that we are wholly unable and unwilling to do. And this is precisely what God does and what this passage tells us this morning, that God gives to us something that we did not even want. The first thing is that the Holy Spirit gives faith. This is our second point this morning. The Holy Spirit gives us faith. That you and I need God to act. Paul says in this passage, In this passage, that it has been graciously given to you to believe in Jesus Christ. See, without God stepping into our lives to act, to change our hearts, to open our eyes, we would never come. And this is a work of God. It's somewhat like a father who steps into the life of his wayward child. A child who has run from everything good, And has brought themselves into a ruinous circumstance that they could not get themselves out of. Maybe you're a parent here today and you wonder this about your children. Or maybe this is your life today. That you realize that you have got yourself into a situation and circumstance that you see no good way out of. You need a rescuer. You need someone to step in to your situation to bring you out of it. Yet what God does here is a little bit unlike that circumstance. See, as a parent, you are helpless before your wayward child. You can show them goodness and kindness and love them. And you can hope that your goodness will waken whatever semblance of sense is left in your child to flee from their ruinous circumstances that they brought themselves in or that they are continuing in. You can hope but you are powerless ultimately. But in salvation, with us, God's wayward people, His wayward children, He is not powerless. God can do what man cannot do. And what God does is He sends His Holy Spirit into our hearts and He raises us from the dead. He gives us eyes to see the light. And He changes our hearts so that now we love the light. That no longer is light something that we hide ourselves from. That no longer is something that we hate. No longer is God's truth something that we run from. We see it and we delight in it. 
We look out on the beautiful snowscape outside and it's no longer something that hurts our eyes, but is something that is beautiful to us. And this is the chief thing that the Spirit does, is He gives us eyes to see. This is the first part of faith, is to see what is true. It's no coincidence that Jesus, one of the chief miracles that Jesus performs over and over again, and gets him into hot water with the religious leaders, the Pharisees, over and over again, is when he gives sight to the blind. See, a blind man cannot make himself see. He cannot will it into existence. But once a blind man sees, he immediately understands. He understands all the things that are around him. Everything that was a darkness a moment before, he now sees it. And it's beautiful to him. He rejoices at all that he can see. And that's what the Holy Spirit does in our hearts when he gives faith to us. Is he opens our eyes to see the truth. He opens our eyes to see what Jesus has done. He opens our eyes to see that what Jesus has done for us is sufficient for our salvation. That what He has done alone is sufficient for our salvation. He opens our eyes so that we see that we cannot save ourselves. We see for the first time that we are truly and utterly lost in our sin. We see and understand for the first time that we cannot do anything of ourselves to present us before God. We see that Jesus' death on the cross is not foolishness, but it's wisdom. Because we see on the cross not something of abject disdain, and humiliation, but of hope. That on the cross, Christ is taking our sins away from us. And we see His resurrection, not as a wild tale, an absurdity, thinking, how can a man raise from the dead? But we see in it the foundation of our lives. We see that Jesus passed through judgment. As we read from Hebrews, that He passed through death. And He is now alive. He has conquered judgment. And so we see in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, not a tale, not foolishness, but hope for us. And this is what the Spirit does in our hearts when He gives faith to us. He clears away the darkness. He clears away death so that we can see light, so that we can see life. The Spirit gives us faith. But this is not enough. It's not enough to just see the truth, is it? It's not enough to just know what is true. And the Spirit does something else for us when He gives us faith to believe. And what He does is He seals our hearts. 
I'd like to explain what that means in just a moment. In our third point this morning, the the Spirit seals faith. Because what happens for us when we see this truth? We go about our lives and we struggle with doubt. We wrestle. It's not always clear to us. There are things that come in our lives that cause us to doubt. Not only there are things that come into our lives that cause us to doubt, our own lives sometimes can be a testimony against us that we truly belong to the Lord. Our sins, we commit sin and then we wonder, am I really saved? Do I really belong to God? The opposition, the trials that we face in life, does God really love me and belong to me? John Calvin says, there is more distrust in the heart than blindness in the mind. And it is more difficult to inspire the soul with security than to imbue it with knowledge. See, we don't just simply need to see what God has done for us. We need to have confidence in our hearts assurance in our hearts that what God has done for us is actually true for us. We need to trust that it is true for us. And this is what the Holy Spirit does when He seals us with faith. As He stamps us with assurance that we would fail of ourselves to continue in the faith if it were reliant upon us to do this. And so the Holy Spirit convinces our hearts that this is true, so that we rest and trust in what Jesus has done for us. See, the essential element of faith in trusting in Christ is not that we merely wish that things will turn out well. The essential element of faith is trust. I rest in this because I know that it will turn out well. Because Christ died for my sins. Because Christ raised from the dead. I know. I am convinced. And that is why I trust in this. And this is the seal. The Holy Spirit convincing our hearts that this is true that we would rely and trust and cast ourselves completely upon Jesus Christ. Despite all the doubts that we wrestle with, despite all our weakness, despite looking around upon a world that seems set against us, and despite our own selves that seem set against us as well, all the reasons why God should reject us and why the Holy Spirit should leave us, God is the one who works faith in us to see what we would not look at and to rest and trust what our hearts would fail in. The Holy Spirit testifies in our hearts that all these things are true around us. Yes, the world is against us. Yes, our hearts fail. But He testifies that God is for us. He convinces us with the gospel that this is true. 
And so he comforts our hearts. This is our comfort. That this is true. It's not a tale. It is not something we made up, that some men made up many years ago for a self-reassurance exercise. This is something that is objectively true, observable in history, where God raised his son from the dead. And he is now seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And the Holy Spirit comforts our hearts that this salvation, this gift of Jesus Christ for us, that He is our righteousness, that He is our forgiveness, that He is the one who transforms us and changes us, and that He gives us everlasting life. And it is all sealed up in Him who is raised from the dead. And that it belongs to us. And that is our hope. That is our hope today. That it is God who saves us. That He gives to us the very instrument that we need to believe, which is faith. He gives to us the very thing that we need to be saved. The ability to believe. And it does not come from ourselves God overcomes all of our blindness, all of our obstinacy, all of our hatred from the light. And he transforms us into new creation who love the light and who can see with true eyes. This is what he does for us. He is the master builder who furnishes us with everything that we need. And he takes something that is completely unsuitable to be in his presence. A sinner who hates the light, who loves the darkness, he changes us and he transforms us into one who loves the light, who loves the truth, who cherishes it, who seeks after it. He grants us faith. To see the truth of the gospel. To see all of these things. And this is ultimately what we need from God. For him to give this to us. That it cannot come from ourselves. That is not like all these false forms of faith that are out there in this world. This is something that only God and God alone can do. And that is our hope this morning. That God is a God who does do this for us. And that God is a God who is for me. That God is a God who changes us to see this. So if you're here this morning and you know Jesus Christ, you know what He has done for you. Rejoice that God has given you this gift to see this. To love it. To believe it. But if you are here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ, you don't know Him, you say, I don't know if I believe this. My call to you today is to believe in the Lord Jesus. Believe that what He has done on the cross for you is your only hope of salvation and deliverance. 
to turn to Him. God is the one who will work in you. And see what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. So brothers and sisters, rest in a God who saves you completely from beginning to end. Do not fear. Rest in Him who will save you from beginning to end. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, you are the almighty God who overcomes all of our weakness, all of our sin, all of the darkness that is in us. Lord, we pray that you would work in our hearts this morning faith to see what is unseen, to believe what this world refuses to believe. Lord, we need your Holy Spirit to work in our hearts always. And so we ask that you would cause him to work in our hearts, to believe the promise that you have given to us of the forgiveness of sins that is in Jesus Christ. Hold him ever before our sight. We ask this in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen.